Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Our Father, may we daily, always, render unto you that which is yours. May we recognize that all of life is a gift. All that we have has come from the generosity of your hand. And may we be a people characterized by a deep faithfulness that is evident always within us. Lord, open our hearts to your word. We ask it even now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have to admit, I haven't preached about politics so much ever in my entire ministry as this year. Now, I do not preach politics. You're not going to know my own personal political persuasion because that's not appropriate. But you will know what I consider to be some of the most fundamental aspects of what the Bible teaches about our participation in civic civic life. And as God's people, we are to be engaged. The, The entire movement of the Reformation yielded an engaged church with the state, a church that was deeply involved in bringing about positive kingdom-like change. So as I've said before, the one signer of the Declaration of Independence, it was a clergyman, was also a Reformed theologian. He was a Presbyterian. And it was important that this nation be founded on the on the principles that we have received from from our faith. And it's Jesus Christ who is the fountainhead of all human freedom. And so it is appropriate. And when we put on a particular pair of glasses and read the scriptures, we can see that it's all all through the scriptures, the relationship of the people of God with the state. Most particularly starting back in Egypt when They had old Pharaoh, and they were crying to let my people go. And um, all the way down to the very present day. And yet, this time, this political season is so rancorous, so harsh. Now, this is not a political statement, but I, after... A Tuesday night before the, or after that, before that first debate, I had basketball practice, and so I got home, got home a little late, and the moment I got there, I sat down, I didn't even look up to see who said it, but I heard someone on the screen say, shut up. In a presidential debate. I mean, that's how, that's how rancorous this has become doesn't matter what side it came from. And 
I was reminded by our opening hymn. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. We have to remember the reality of the principalities and powers that would undo us, would undo human freedom, would undo that which is the closest approximation of a, of a Christian nation the world has ever seen. And so, heaven forbid I should preach politics. Heaven forbid I should, preach, should not preach about politics. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. Very familiar pa passage, and I will fill in some of the gaps as we go on. The Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for, his, for which he could be arrested. They sent some of his disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God's, God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he said, whose picture and title is stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them, and they went away. So when Jesus was just a kid, a little boy messing around up in Bethlehem. He was probably six or seven years old. There was a revolt in Jerusalem. A guy named Judas the Galilean. And he led a violent revolt. And he went in and cleansed the temple. And he declared the coming of the kingdom of God. And he refused to pay taxes. And that, that put an imprint on the culture at that time. And coming off of Judas and that revolt spun off a group called the Zealots. And the Zealots were those who were constantly plotting some kind of military uprising against Rome. And this was all because of the institution of the tax that is being spoken of here, which was imposed in... 6 A.D. And that tax infuriated the people. The tax was to pay for the Roman occupation. I mean, can, can you imagine? That gets me mad. Gets me mad thinking about it. We have to pay for them to be here to oppress us? We have to pay for the Roman occupation? What? And so there was, there was an awful lot of that, that anger that was active in the first century. 
And, and so Jesus, just before the scribes and Pharisees and the religious authorities and the Herodians, which were those who were sort of in league with Rome, before they came to him, Jesus had just cleared the temple and declared the kingdom of God. And so they, they wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to get him. They were looking for a way to put him to death. And so they conspired amongst themselves and, and, and they, they came up with, and I'm sure they had a lot of different options, but they said, how do we get this guy? How can we trap him? So with all of their talking and all of their thinking and all of their scheming, they then came to, came to Jesus with a very simple question. Accept that. We want you to say yes or no. Just yes or no, period. Are we to pay taxes or not? Yes or no? Now, if he said no to paying taxes, like Judas the Galilean, they'd have him arrested. They'd crush him as a insurrectionist. If he said yes, then the people would revolt against him. So they, they were not dumb. They had a nice little trap laid for him. If he says yes, he loses. If he says no, he loses. So they came out to meet Jesus, and they thought, with all of their arrogance, we got him. <laughs> Jesus, they didn't realize who they were dealing with. They're dealing with God. They're not dealing with just some guy. They're dealing with the incarnate Lord of the universe. And when Jesus heard this question, I think he smiled at him. You hypocrites. Why? Why are you doing this? Why are you trying to trap me? You're, you're undermining your own personal integrity and in everything that you're doing. You're acting against the reality of our whole faith and our whole faith community. Why? And so he said, um, I, don't, I don't have any on me. Does anyone have a Roman coin? Somebody gave him a coin. And, or at least he somebody had a coin, and he asked, whose image is on it? What's well, Caesar's? Not only that, there are words on those coins. We, we, we have them. And the, the coin has a print of Caesar, an imprint of Caesar, and now on the back is a picture of his mother, but the inscription says, a son of divine Augustus. So the coin says, son of God. And of course the Roman cult was that they had to worship the Caesar, not just pay him the taxes, but pay him homage. They had to worship him. 
So Jesus says, so whose image is on it? Well, Caesar's. Well, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Give back to Caesar that which is his. It's his money. Let him have it. Which is one way of saying, people, don't forget it is only money. Let him have it. Thinking about the sermon and then driving on 75 yesterday, I thought, you know, this is, this is not bad. This freeway. Caesar built this. <laughs> Our taxes. I was in politics for a couple of years, and I remember arguing about trimming of trees and filling potholes in Los Angeles. And I thought, this is not bad. We have a, a nice community. Everything is really nice here because we, we simply render to Caesar. We, we let him have what, what he's got coming to him. It's not a bad thing. And Jesus says, just let him have it. But then he says, render to God that which is God's. And then we have to ask, if a coin has Caesar's image, on what is God's image? On you and me is the image of God. On everyone there is the image of God. If the coin belongs to Caesar, we belong to God. And so our homage belongs to God. Our life belongs to him. All that we are, all that we have, every breath belongs to him. You know, I, I love the opening of Genesis. And the story, one of the stories of creation is that God formed the man out of the dust of the earth and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That which animates us, that which gives us breath, is God himself. And we even use the language of expire, the inspire, the inspiration of God, the, the work of the Spirit that gives us life, and then that life leaves us as we expire. But it is theologically the understanding of spirit that animates life. So they were stuck. Those religious people were stuck. The denominational authorities were caught flat-footed because we belong to God. And therefore, because we belong to God, Taxes are just stupid things that we have to do. Or good things that we have to do. Sometimes they're stupid, sometimes they're good. In the case of Rome, it was stupid. In our case, I will make no comment. <laughs> but 
But in that time, they had the same kind of partisan spirit that we do. Because on the one hand, they had the zealots who wanted the, the, the they were rioters, they would, they would act out violently. And on the other hand, there were the Essenes. They would simply separate themselves out. I'm not paying these taxes, I'm moving to the Caymans. They simply separated out. They went out by the Jordan River and they lived in caves. And this is where we got the, the Dead Sea Scrolls was from the Essenes. They separated themselves out as a way of not paying taxes. The, the zealots on the one hand and the, the Essenes on the other hand, the violent revolutionaries on the one hand and the separatists on the other hand. But Jesus doesn't affirm either of those extremes. He's looking at real people. He's looking at moms and dads with little kids. And he simply says, render unto to Caesar and, and render unto God. But then as now, the, the rancor, the antipathy, the harshness of, of politics can be so divisive. It was divisive then, it's divisive now. But they can't handle Jesus. They can't handle who this person is. Every time they try to set a trap for him, he, he manages not only to not get trapped, but he manages to make that trap disappear. So even at his crucifixion, who do they release? They release Barabbas, the violent revolutionary. Why? Because they can deal with him. They can't deal with Jesus. They can't deal with one who recognizes that all this political wrangling just is not very deep. And yet it causes so much division, so much harshness, so much difficulty. Now, I grew up in a home where dad, I always knew dad's politics. I never knew mom's. But dad, I remember mother complaining about the woman next door, the neighbor next door. Something had happened between them. And, and dad said, oh, well, she's a Democrat. <laughs> and dad's brother, Uncle Bill, up in Spokane, he, all, he, he drove Chevys. And he was a Democrat, because <laughs> dad was four, you know. He had all these associations. So dad had me during the, the, um, uh, the presidential election in which Barry Goldwater ran, he had me read this book, what, something of a conscience or, you know, conscience of a conservative or something like that. Dad had me read Barry Goldwater's book. <laughs> so I was kind of steeped in it as a kid. A lot of the talk around the dinner table was about politics. And I don't mind saying dad was always wrong and I was always right. But I do remember, of course that's silly, but I do remember mom getting upset. Different times after dinner then our discussion would go on and on. Then mom, remember mom would come in and, would you boys stop it? Upset because of our are arguing because of the harsh reality of political talk and what it can yield. 
And Dad said to me, and I've shared this before, he said, once, because he would say to me, well, you're just a kid, you don't know, you, you're just, what do you know, you're just a kid. But then he'd turn around and come back. Dad had apologized to me. During one of those apologies, and there were many of them, he said to me, when the attacks become personal, the argument is lost. Which to me meant Dad lost all the arguments. <laughs> but then, I was in a conversation this week, and I thought about Dad. Lost him in 2012. And I thought about all of those political arguments that we had. It never in any way compromised our love for one another. Deep and intense love that I have for both parents. But as I thought about it, I came to realize I never apologized to Dad. And now he's gone. I never went to Dad and said, Dad, I was out of line. Dad, I'm sorry. And if I could redo, one of the many regrets in life that when we do a little bit of thinking that we can find, we can dredge up, was that I never apologized to my father. In his graciousness, in his love, and his humility, He's apologizing to a dumb kid because he loved his son. And loving one another, these political arguments don't carry an awful lot of long-term relevance. That's why I had Bing Crosby at the front remind us of all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that never sailed, didn't impact this world at all, like one solitary life, the life of Jesus, who calls upon us with all of our arguments, with all of the stuff we talk about, to love one another through it, despite to love one another, no matter what. Perhaps even to contextualize such discussions like that of a, an athletic contest, where you go at it hard and you play to win, but when the game is over, the game is over. And then love one another. Go back to life. So I don't know about you, but I've got a little bit of fatigue about all of the stuff that we're being constantly bombarded with. And I don't know if there's a soon resolution to all of this. I do know that God calls us to be engaged in civic life. God so loved the world and therefore we would love that world too and therefore enter in and participate. And and yet what we take there is our love. Because that's what God took to this world. That's what God takes to us. That's what our Lord 
does for us. And so let's pray together. Lord Jesus, rather than you being trapped by a dumb question, trap us, run us down, pursue us, and when you catch us, embrace us, O oh Lord, with that love that will never let us go. Lord, it is you and you alone who is worthy of our worship and praise. You and you alone who have, who have redeemed us. And so we give you honor and glory and praise with all that we are, all that we have, and all that we might one day become. In your name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.